listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Jason, you know the toughest job in professional services? Introducing you on a podcast? <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> You know, when I was young and, and stupid and first got into professional services at Anderson, I thought the toughest job in professional services was being in marketing because you had to deal with all these recalcitrant accountants and, and consultants. Then, as I learned a little, I thought, well, no, it's the managing partner because they have to herd the proverbial cats. But after I became seasoned, I came to appreciate that the most difficult job, the toughest job in professional services is the life of a practice leader. Now, real quick, you just called practice leaders recalcitrant, I believe. You want to define well, that for yeah, our audience? Yeah, can be, but the, 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 those are the ones that I don't like. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> not, not, not the ones we're, we're having on this show here, starting today. That's right. So, okay, good, good. Because I have this affinity and have worked with so many of them over the years, I thought it would be great for us to do a series on the toughest job in professional service and life as a practice leader. So we're kicking off our series on life as a practice leader, and we have an excellent one to kick us off today. We have Scott Koss from Ide Bailey. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. Thanks for having me. How about if we, we jump right in? I'd like you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role as practice leader at Ide Bailey. Yeah, so I, I grew up in the consulting world. I actually started out as a programmer way back in the day when there were actually still punch cards. Uh, that's that, that dates me a bit. I joined an organization called EDS, which was you know famous for Ross Perot led that organization. Uh-huh. They were really, really good at developing consultants, the consultative uh, personality, and they were very good at developing leaders. And so that's kind of where I grew up. And I found myself with this desire to go on my own, EDS was a very large organization and, and I, I, I had this desire to go out on my own. And so I did start my own consulting practice. I ran it for about a year and a half. And my biggest client ended up being an organization called Ide Bailey, which was in headquartered in Fargo, North Dakota. And in a million years, in a million years, I would have never dreamed I'd end up in an accounting firm. But what was going on at the time is I Bailey was, they had just gone through a big merger and they had some ambitious growth aspirations. And one of the ways they wanted to grow is they wanted to diversify their services outside of their traditional audit tax and accounting services. And so I started working with them. I ended up deciding to join forces. And here I am now, 20 some years later, still with an accounting firm actually a partner in, in an accounting firm. in uh, So it tells you a little bit about life. You never know where it's going to take you. Oh, that's so cool. So how long have you been in the practice leader role at I Bailey? For 24 years now. Wow. So you jumped in, you kind of built the practice from scratch and have been running it ever since. Yeah. I, when I joined them, I had a small, probably, you know, a little less than a half a million dollars worth of a book of business that I brought into the firm. And really what I Bailey was is the way I kind of describe it is it's this ecosystem that allows you to, you know, build and grow and develop a practice. And that's where I've been ever since. 
Wow. I have, I have a question. Is I'm curious, going off script, so I apologize. Did you ever feel like you were kind of like a thorn inside of this firm where like you're this outlier, right? I mean, you're surrounded by a bunch of, you know, audits and auditors and accountants and CPAs and you're the technology guy. Did you ever feel, I don't know, like out of place or did they make you feel out of place or did people love that the idea that, hey, we've got this new practice and it's a new way of looking at things. And what, what was that like? I'm just curious. It's a a great question. So it's gone, it's evolved, right? In the very early days, I I think we kind of felt like we were the crown prince because this is what, you know, this is where the firm wants to go strategically. This is really important. They made a big deal out of it being there. You you know, I think at at the time, Mike Bailey was probably 20 or 30 partners versus the 300 partners. And the managing partner at the time, you know, had this vision of we're going to leverage our client base and diversify our services. But this funny thing called Enron happened in the early 2000s. And, you you know, kind of the disaster and the, 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 the issues that struck the CPA industry all of a sudden, this wasn't such a good thing, you know, with independence issues and all those other things that were going on. And to top it off, early on in the practice, there were some issues with our practice and getting it to perform financially and all those things. And so there was a period of time where, you, you know, you kind of kept your head down and, and just made sure you were taking care of business and, and weren't that visible. That changed about 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, we did decide that, hey, this is this is an important part. You, you know, we see what's happening with fees that we can generate with tax. We see what's happening with fees that we can generate with audits. Those are still going to be very core parts of our business, but we do have to diversify that revenue stream. And, you, you know, right now, when you look at our firm and you look at the vision of where we're going, we believe that 50% of our business within 10 years or within seven years, 50% of our business will be compliance related. of it will be advisory related. And so right now, I don't think anybody in in my practice feels like a third-class citizen. We're a central part of the I Bailey strategy. And and really, our ability to execute here is critical to where we're trying to go as a firm. Thank you. You had to bring up Enron to an Anderson guy. I'm going to remember that, Scott. Scott, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) Scott, I don't don't know you that well, but I really like you for bringing that up. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy. So Scott, can you just kind of ground us in your role as a practice leader as I Bailey and you define the role of the practice leader? What are what are your goals? How do you measure them? How does the the firm reward you as a practice leader? You know, I think the, the first part of my role being that, you, you know, I'm the leader of this practice, it's to connect it back to the firm. And, you, you know, we don't want to be a, you know, sitting off in a silo or sitting off in an island. In fact, you know, one of the things that I say about mistakes that I feel like I've made is early on in my tenure here, I didn't do a good enough job of leveraging and connecting to the firm. And so I think that's the primary thing I'm supposed to do here. It's the primary role I need to play is I need to make sure that you know we are aligned with where the firm is going we are aligned with the firm strategy we are executing on that and 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 leveraging everything that we can out of the firm to create value for our clients and for our firm i also think you know the the, the whole issue of we have 350 partners in the firm right now and i have a responsibility to each one of them to you, you know not only do a great job of serving our clients and ensuring that we are enhancing the client relationships but I also have a responsibility to perform financially as well. 
I don't think those 350 partners are looking at this as we're just going to have this endless investment that we're making in this technology group that has no return. There does have to be this financial result that is being generated that is also enhancing the firm and creating value for our partners. And I think we do a really good job in our firm, not just with me, but with all 350 partners. I think we do a really good job of looking at those two aspects of what we want every partner to do, to drive growth and to drive value, and then rewarding based on that. You know, the compensation rewards, the opportunity rewards, those types of things. I think we do a really good job of doing that to those people that are, you know, really aligned with where the firm is trying to go, what our clients are trying to do and, and delivering a result. So I think one of the most difficult things about being a practice leader is the role is a mile wide and a mile deep because you cut across so much to produce you know, those business results. How do you as a practice leader prioritize? One thing we say in our firm, I think our current managing partner came up with this, at least I hear him say it over and over again, is getting to the work that matters. Because you're right, Jeff, there's so much that you can get distracted with. There's just, there's something going on all the time, right? And so what's really important is we get to the work that matters. And that's where we're going to spend our time. And so what I try to do is I'm looking at my role and, uh, you, you know, number one, I do need to make sure that we're, that we're working on the things that are important, not just today, but also in the future and looking ahead at saying, you know, how are we going to continue to drive the result that we need to drive? And then I think the second thing that is important from a prioritization standpoint is, am I spending time with the people that are going to get us from point A to point B? If I'm relying on myself to do all that work, the growth potential here is very limited. But if if we're doing a good job of developing people, if we're doing a good job of positioning people to be successful, if we're doing a good job of making sure our people see they, they see the scoreboard. They see the result that we're trying to drive. They see what we're trying to accomplish. And then we're providing the support to get us there. That's where I should be spending my time. And if I'm spending my time on other things that just aren't, you know, related to the work that matters, I, you know, I need to, I need to check where I'm at and make adjustments. I've worked with a lot of practice leaders, as I, I said, and each one <laughs> is unique in their approach. And it's amazing to see how people produce results with very different approaches. Tell us a little bit about how you approach being a practice leader. So I have a lot of help with that because I've been blessed to be, I'm surrounded by a really good team right now. And we do spend a lot of time talking about that. You, you know, how do you express Here's what we're trying to do and and you, you get a picture of it. And so I'm a sports guy and I like to see the scoreboard, right? I like to see the scoreboard about where we're at and are we winning, are we losing? And so one of the things that we've done is we've taken our practice and we've boiled it down to a set of very simple metrics that we track on a daily basis. In fact, every Tuesday morning, we sit down and we have a call and they're, they're, our practice leads are on it. And then their direct reports are on this call. And we go through, here's where we're at, uh, a set of very simple metrics. I'll give you a couple of them that we'll talk about every single Tuesday. So one, we talk about how much business that we've closed. And we have these quotas and we have these targets. And every month we go through it and we look at it. And we, in a half hour, we're able to sit down and look at those metrics and boil that down on a per practice and per salesperson basis. 
And not only is there, I, I think there's accountability that goes along with that inherent accountability. I don't want to be the one that shows up to the meeting and my numbers look terrible. But I also think it's important that they know that our people know the people that are out there making it happen for us. They know here's where we're at. Hey, I got to step up because I'm behind a little bit. It's the ability to visualize. Are we successful? Are we, are we, have we been successful or not? Are we succeeding or not? The second metric that we use is we use a metric called revenue per day, which is the amount of consulting revenue that we generate on a per day basis. And I can't take credit for this. One of my partners uh, came up with this. But, you know, instead of looking at it on a monthly basis and you, you look backwards and you say, hey, did we make it or not? We're measuring the amount of revenue that we're generating on a per day basis. So every practice lead, every person that has a team, a team lead, they're looking at it and they're saying every day I've got to generate $10,000 of revenue or $12,000 or $15,000 worth of revenue. It is, and, and, and we establish a target. You, you know, we say, hey, we've entrusted you with these resources. Now go deliver. And it's amazing when people can see the scoreboard, they can see the result and it's, you can track yourself in bite-sized pieces. It's amazing what people can do. It, those two things have fundamentally changed the financial performance of our practice. And you know, I've been involved with a lot of a lot of M&A activity and looking at a lot of practices. I see practices that make a lot of money. I see practices that don't make any money. You, you know, sometimes it boils down to just these fundamentals of, well, how do we do it? What, what do we have to do in order to, to generate the appropriate financial result? And that's how we do it. We try to keep it really simple, keep it really clear, let people see the scoreboard anytime they want to see the scoreboard. Make sure they know what success looks like. What are we looking for? And then let them go. I have a couple of clarifying questions. So that Tuesday meeting, is that yep. a, a meeting of the practice leaders or is that a meeting inside of your practice? I'm kind of curious, like, do, do you cascade these metrics down into inside of each practice? Is that essentially what's going on? Yeah. So what happens is on Mondays, each practice gets together. They go through their result from the previous week and how things were going and what the sales results are. And they make sure all their stuff is updated. That's what happens on Mondays. And then on Tuesdays, I'm involved with that meeting along with our practice leads and their direct reports. And there's kind of this accountability that goes all the way back to you, you know, the firm and the firm management team on, you, you know, this is what we're looking at. Thank you. My second clarifying question is, you don't have to answer specifics, but are there leading indicators on that scoreboard as well? Things that are indicative of, you know, revenue, you know, next year, let's say. Yeah. So we're getting better at that is the honest answer. We're forecasting out two months. And so, you, you know, based on sales and based on hiring plans and based on, you, you know, the backlog of work that we have, we're, we're right now we're forecasting out over two months. Sales is actually going out three months, although that third month is very murky, unclear, but you, you got to start somewhere. Right. And so, you, you know, that's what we're trying to do right now. And we feel like as long as our, because it's important to look ahead and not just look behind. Right. So, you, you know, and I think when people are go out and say, you know, I'm going to deliver X over the course of the next four five, six weeks, there's just some built-in accountability that I don't want to disappoint. And so the result is more likely to happen that way. Cool. Thank you. I want to pivot a little here. And when we first met, Scott, one of the things that you used to describe yourself was that you are hyper-competitive. How does that hyper-competitiveness play out for you as, as a practice leader 
and as a leader? I, I think that competitiveness in me drives me to, first of all, can't stand wasting time. Okay. You, you know, that comment I made about getting to the work that matters. Let's, let's work on what matters. Let's invest our time wisely. We're all given a limited amount of time on this earth. You, you know, I, I don't want to waste my time. And so I'm going to, I want to spend my time on things that are going to matter. And, and at least in my mind, it's, it's going to allow me to win. I love John Maxwell's comment about what success is, right? You know, well, what does success look like? And one of the ways that he describes it is a person reaching their potential. And I could translate that into a practice or a team, a practice reaching its potential, a team reaching its potential. And so driving to that success, I don't necessarily have to be competing with an enemy. I don't necessarily have to be competing with another firm. I don't necessarily have to be competing with another team. Just competing with yourself to, I want to make sure that today we are successful. I want to make sure that this week and this month and this year, we are successful and we're reaching our potential. And I I think that's the way that it plays itself out. So I push, I know I do, you you know, it's been described that, well, that's not the way that it works in, you you know, other practices that I've been involved in. And I totally get that. But I, I also feel like I feel this sense of urgency to, if success is reaching your potential, that's when satisfaction happens too, right? It's the satisfaction of knowing, hey, we did it. We reached our potential. We we gave it all we had to go make something happen. And that's how that competitiveness, I think, manifests itself in the way that I operate on a day-in, day-out basis. Can you share some of the things that you you wrap into that potential? You know, as I because listening to you talk, I know it's not just a revenue target. It's not just like, hey, we got to hit this revenue target by next year and then we celebrate because I think that's too limiting and too hollow. Yeah. Yeah, that's 100% true. So I'm going to do that in two realms. I'm going to do that in a client realm and I'm going to do that in a people realm. There's the firm realm and the financial targets. That's pretty easy, right? When you see our clients succeed and look back and say, wow, we couldn't have done this without you. You made an impact on our business. You made an impact on our life. What more could you ask for as far as being able to serve a client and make things happen? But in order to get there, that's not easy. You have to give extra. You have to drive. You can't just, you know, take a scope of work and I'm going to check all the boxes and that's all I'm going to do. You have to be willing to give more and to give extra to make it to that spot. And man, if you're a consultant or you're in the professional services business and that doesn't drive you, that doesn't motivate you to hear those words and to know that, hey, I I nailed it on this project. I nailed it on this engagement. Maybe you're not in the right business, right? And then on, on the people side, when you see people get promoted to partner, you know, we've had a couple of really good years here and people make more money than they ever dreamed of and impacting families and impacting, you, you know, the community and, and what we can do in the community. I mean, all of those things are part of, to me, what is realizing your potential. You know, we're not just here to make a buck. You know, we're here to impact people, impact clients, impact communities, impact uh, our lives. And, and so I think that potential gets all wrapped up in those things. And then it is a hollow. <laughs> Definitely not. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal. Divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. 
If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. As you were talking there, I found myself starting to want to jump up and down and slap that play like a champion sign in the locker room and get out on the field. You have this infectious energy about you, Scott, that I just absolutely love. Thank you. This concept of of helping people realize their potential to me is the element of a true leader because it's it goes beyond oneself and I love the way you define potential. It's it's not just professional potential, it's it's personal and it's extending that potential to others around you. So it's cascading that potential. I, I just think that's so cool. I, I think that's so cool. I wanna I wanna hit a point that really jumped out at me when we spoke earlier. You are a coach outside of Ide Bailey. I am. You coach girls softball. And it seems to me there's so many parallels between what you just described in managing your Ide Bailey team and what I would envision of, of managing these young women playing softball. Can you tell us a little bit about how those two lives intersect? I'm a father of four daughters. And that got me into this girls activities, girls athletic realm. And I found myself as the coach of this softball team in the town I live in, in North Dakota. And I I would admit that when when it first started out, I probably wasn't a, a very good coach. I wasn't reaching my potential, right? And I wasn't helping this team reach its potential. And after we got through a couple of seasons, I'm looking at it saying, you know, I wonder how do we do this better? How can we experience more success? So I, I kind of poured myself into figuring out, well, how does that work? And one of the things I discovered is that, you, you know, coaching is leadership, is mentoring, is teaching. It's all of those things. The same way on a softball field as it is within business, right? My job in I Bailey is to coach and mentor and lead. And I do the exact same thing on the softball field. And those skills whether it's the ability to break a problem down and say, you know, here's how we're going to solve that problem. It's the same skill in athletics as it is in, in, in business. It's just, you, you know, you're just working with different variables to get there. And so, you, you know, many of the things that I believe about my professional career, I also believe about my coaching, uh, you know, my coaching assignment. When this team that I'm coaching right now, we set a vision of, so what does it mean for us to reach our potential? And every season you're kind of rebuilding you're kind of coming up with, you, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we, here's what our goals are. But it does boil down to every year we have these same three things that we believe in. You, you know, we believe in competing for championships. We make it very clear up front that that's what we're here to do. We believe in teaching life lessons because what you can learn on the athletic field can carry you on through life. And if we're not doing a good job of, of articulating those life lessons like, hard work and leadership and being on time and all those things, right? If we're not doing a good job of doing that, I don't think we're reaching our potential as a, as a, as coaches or as a softball team. And then we got to have fun while we're doing it. Jeff, it really does just blend together. It just blends together. It's not, it's the, you, you know, I don't feel like I have to put a different hat on when I go from the softball field to the, my office 
and vice versa. It's, it's, I'm, I'm playing the same role. It's just with different people, but I'm largely doing the exact same thing. Yeah, I love that. When you're putting these teams together, you may not have the same discretion with the softball that you do at I Bailey, but what what are the qualities that you look for in the people that you add to your teams and that you promote into to leadership? We just went through this, right? So we're we're working on a new college recruiting thing and I'm big on you know, I remember when I was with EDS and we had this great college recruiting effort, this machine that would just go all across the country and, and find these people. And, and, you know, we're trying to do the same thing within our, our consulting and advisory group within I Bailey. And, and so there's these attributes, right? These attributes that what does it take to be successful here? And so we just kind of went through it. And, and there's probably three or four of them that really stick out to me. You, you know, does the person have passion? Do they have passion for what they're doing? Do they have passion in life? And if you have a, you you know, somebody that has passion for and can demonstrate that passion for something, I believe that they're, it's likely they're going to bring that into their work. And it's somebody that I feel like, you know, is going to be able to be promoted and and is going to be able to advance in the organization. I think along with that passion comes ambition, you you know, ambition to, to make something happen, to do great work, to grow. I don't necessarily want to hire somebody and just have them sit stagnant, right? I think part of the motivation to be in a professional services firm is that growth is really an important thing. And so you got to have ambition of people that are around you that are going to make things happen. The third one I would say would be problem solving. I think consulting firms, global consulting firms do a really good job of of figuring out who's going to be a good problem solver or not. I think we need to get better at it. I once had a mentor of mine tell me, and he was high up in the organization, and he told me that his job is merely being a problem solver. You, you know, that's what his job is. I That's what he works on every day is he's solving organizational problems or people problems or client problems or whatever the case may be. And, and so those problem solving skills, I, I think are crucial. You, you know, somebody that can go into a client organization and help them solve problems and make things happen and make their business better. I think that's crucial. And then one thing we always talk about when we're talking about promoting people. So I'm getting to the specifics of your question, Jeff. One thing we talk about is, does this person care as much as we do? Do they care as much as we do? Do they care about the business? Do they care about the firm? Do they care about the organization? Do they care about the work? Do they care as much as we do? Because that caring and you know engaging with the mission, what we're trying to accomplish, man, you can overcome a whole lot of shortcomings if you have that you know that passion, that caring to to go make things happen. So. That's the way I would answer who we look for, what we're looking for in summary. I guess I have a companion question for that. And it's sort of a, and Jeff, maybe you had planned this question anyway. I don't know. You know, if you had advice to your younger self, what would it have been? If you could, if you could go back to your younger self and say, hey, Scott, do this, you know, along these lines of, of like, you know, what makes a good team member? What, what would you say to yourself? You, you know, a couple of the hard knocks that I look back on that, man, this could have been different. I could have made this a whole lot easier. I wish I would have learned the business, really learned the business earlier. If I could wave a magic wand, that should be something that we're teaching all the time, understanding our business. And we do try to do that within our technology consulting practice. We get together a couple of times in person every year to just really try to get them to understand the business. Because the more people understand what we're trying to do and why, the whole why behind it, the better they are at making it happen. And I just didn't 
pay enough attention to that. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the consulting that, that, you know, being a consultant. And so I worried about being a good consultant and yep, being a good consultant that you're going to be successful no matter what. Well, that's not really true because you have to understand sales. You have to understand how the business makes money. You have to understand there are lots of aspects, complexities to this business that you have to, that you have to make sure you're going to, that you understand if you're going to be a good leader. So that would be the one thing. And then the other thing is, is I think it took me too long. My younger self, I wish I would have been more candid. I, we all kind of have this desire to be liked, right? One thing I've learned in 40 years of being in this business is you can be clear, you can be candid, you can tell people like it is, they're still going to like you. They're still going to respect you. And it took me longer than I wish it did. And so again, when leaders are unclear, there's stormy times, right? You're going to have problems and some of them are self-inflicted problems because the leader isn't being as clear as they ought to be. So I would say those two things, Jason. Oh, those are great. I, I never forget, I had a client, and this would have been back in 2008, I remember, because obviously 2008, right? Yeah. And he led IT services organizations, and he was he was sort of morphing his consulting firm into this product-based business. And what I always just was so impressed by was, it didn't matter who in the organization he was talking to, he would sit down and break down a profit and loss statement almost like daily. I would just sit in meetings. I mean, people that are just like right in the door that basically have you know no experience whatsoever. And he'd be like, well, let me show you how the P&L works. And he would just break it down top to bottom in great detail to people that probably, some of them probably didn't even really care. They were kind of looking at him like, why are you telling me this? But of course, to your point, he's trying to get them to understand this is how we make money and this is how it works. For me, it was like, a, like an eye-opening experience to see someone do this with anybody that that walked in his door. Receptionist, didn't matter. Didn't matter who he was inter interfacing with inside that business. He would make sure they understood how that business made money top to bottom and everything he could he could share and he and he'd share it with anybody. Shared it with me, right? Yep. That was his agency. <laughs> it wasn't even like I worked for him, right? <laughs> yeah. It was cool. So it reminded me of that. So Scott, you just threw out a big number. You've been doing this for 40 years. How much longer are, do you plan on doing this? Are you thinking about succession? And are you developing the next generation of Scots out there right now? I, I don't have a firm date in mind, but obviously it's coming, right? And so we are spending a fair amount of time talking about succession planning and what do we need to do and the preparation that we need to make. I do feel this sense of I owe it to the firm to make this seamless and as smooth as possible. I mean, it's just, I, I think it's, I've been entrusted with a lot and I'm not going to shirk my responsibility of making sure that, you, you know, I, I want it to be better post Scott than it is right now. That's what I want. So I'm working on it. Like I said, I don't have a firm date in mind right now, but I don't think you can start planning that too soon. I, you know, I've watched what our firm does has done through right now. It's our third managing partner transition since I got there. Man, we do a good job on it, but it's because we spend time. There's time, there's transition time, and there's, you, you know, we spend time making sure we're going to make this as smooth as possible and uh, I need to do the same thing, the exact same thing with this practice. Good answer. Scott, you know, one of the things you said that you look for in, in your people joining your team is ambition. And I think ambitious people say, I want to be practice leader. That's an achievable goal. But I'd like to know, and I'm sure it's important for those people that, that have ambitions to be a practice leader, to know and understand what 
you have to give up in order to be a practice leader and what you can gain by being a practice leader, because it is a tough role. And I'd like to understand what you feel you've given up and what you've gained being in this role. You know, I think life is all about making choices, right? You make choices of where you're going to spend your time and, you, you know, choices and, and their, their sacrifices. And I, I think, you know, I think one of the things I've given up because I spend a, a fair amount of time in my work life. And then there's about three months or four months that I spend a fair amount of time where my evening is chewed up with softball and doing that thing. And it's a choice that I've made, right? And so, you know, one of the things that I've given up is I've given up some of the other personal time that I would like to, you know, I don't golf. Uh, I rarely, I, you know, I played three rounds of golf so far this year. There, there's some things that I don't do in my personal life. I try not to give up any time with my family um, because at the end of the day, that's what matters. And so, you, you know, balancing I got to have this priority of my my family and my community, and I got to have this priority as far as my work life. I think there, there's just choices that you make that you're going to give certain things up. Don't watch a lot of TV. Don't go to movies. I don't. There's things that I don't do, but honestly, I don't feel like I miss them because they're choices that I've made. What I've gained, what an amazing opportunity to impact people, to impact clients, to impact team members, to impact our firm, to grow as a person, to stretch yourself and, you, you know, feel like going back to that John Maxwell comment about feeling like you're realizing your potential. I don't know if I really have or not yet. I'm still driven to go make things happen. But what an amazing opportunity to do that. And I honestly, whatever I've given up pales in comparison to what I feel like I've received. Wow. What a great place to end. An excellent, excellent discussion. Scott, I can't say thank you enough for joining us. This has just been a enjoyable and insightful conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's truly been a pleasure. I've enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you and, and uh, look forward to listening to this podcast series. Yes. I want to say thank you, Scott, as well. And real quick, what's, you know, the softball team mascot is... Squirrels. Right, let's go squirrels. Squirrels. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Go, go.